Good morning to you, and I'd uh, like to start this by saying I had a weird dream last night. How about you? Have you ever had a weird dream? One of those dreams that seems so real when you wake up, it takes you half the day before you can shake it off, feeling disoriented. You know what I mean? Does this uh, uh, ring true with you? Well, this was me this morning, and this was a big dream. Last night I dreamed I was eating the world's biggest, fluffiest, most sugary marshmallow. It was about this big, and this morning I woke up and half my pillow was gone. (laughs) That was just to get you to laugh before we start. I mean, you can groan at that, but do you know how many other sermons I've already stolen that joke for? So, but speaking of dreams, last uh, week on TV, uh, how, how many of you watched the Super Bowl? How many of you watched that big game last week? Okay, well, there's a lot of people out here who watched it. Well, last week on TV, uh, during the pregame, may, maybe you caught this, uh, I don't know, the, the, the NFL broadcast out of Atlanta featured a video of Martin Luther King Jr. Any of you catch that or were aware of that? That was last week. So after this segment, again, during the pregame, Uh, A writer for USA Today reported that the league further highlighted Atlanta's civil rights legacy after the video by having King's daughter, Bernice King, on field for the coin toss, standing alongside some of the contemporaries of Martin Luther King Jr. It's interesting. I looked this up. This was actually the third time the Super Bowl had ever been hosted by Atlanta. The third time in history. City previously hosted this big game first in 1994. The last time they'd hosted it was in 2000. It was in 2000. So this is the third time Atlanta hosted the game. I thought that was interesting. And you know, since it wasn't Atlanta, these King references uh, did seem to be an appropriate nod. If you think about the historical surroundings, Atlanta was the city in which uh, Martin Luther King Jr. grew up. It was where he was baptized. It was where both he and his father, Martin Luther King Sr., uh, served uh, in the pastoral ministry. Thought that was interesting. Today, there's actually a historical park and a museum that stands there. I'm told it's dedicated to the family. Now, while we might look at maybe some of the theology of a king or his personal life, might look at some of this and, and say, well, some of this might be a little questionable, there's no doubt of King's success, right? There's no doubt of Martin Luther King Jr.'s influence upon our nation, right? King had a dream, a dream regarding racial equality. Some of you might remember, he delivered his most famous address on this topic. Uh, When was that? The March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. Do you remember the date? August 28, 1963. That was the date he delivered his most famous address. Were any of you present for that? Just just curious. It was a couple years ago, but... Part of this uh, speech, he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And this was certainly a big dream uh, in some corners of the United States in the turbulent 60s. As we see from headlines on the media today, we still need to keep that dream alive, I think. Um, 
see it in some of the, the flags that we fly, we see it in some of the philosophies that we share on social media. At times, we, we really can display such a hatred in our hearts as American citizens, can't we? It's still very much a problem. And you know, it's going to take the one who said, love thy neighbor, who died for us, his neighbors, for us to understand this dream, right? For us to understand a dream like Martin Luther King's. The church must always stand against discrimination and racism of any kind, Galatians 3.28, and I share the dream that we'll all agree on that. But this morning, for our second week of the Daniel sermon plan, I'd actually like to talk through a different dream, a different kind of dream, a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar in our Bible shared with Daniel in chapter 2 of the text. If you remember, if you were here last week, if you remember where we left off when we kicked the series off, Daniel and his three companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, were being trained as servants to the king. You remember that's where we ended at the end of chapter 1. And last Sunday, we, we, we said that Daniel, so as not to be defiled by the king's food, requested vegetables during each meal that they would serve him while he was being otherwise indoctrinated into Babylon. And in staying faithful to the God of Israel this way, God rewards Daniel, doesn't he? You remember how God rewards him? Daniel 1.17 with, quote, understanding in all visions and dreams. This gift given by God to Daniel is going to come in handy. It's going to come in handy this week. If you would open your Bibles to the second chapter of Daniel, uh, we've got some highlighted text this morning, but we're going to follow along with the text surrounding. might be handy if you've got those Bibles open. If you turn to the beginning of the second chapter of the book of Daniel, you notice right away what's going on. Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. He had dreams. They caused his spirit to be troubled. His sleep left him. He wasn't having a good night's sleep. The Bible tells us that the king uh, starts bringing in people to help him understand these dreams, understand what's going on. Now, who do you call in Babylon when you're the king and you're losing sleep over understanding a dream? Well, if you don't realize that the one true God, the God of Israel, has given the power of dream interpretation to your servant Daniel, apparently you start calling, and it tells us here in verse 2 of the text, magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans. Chaldeans, I mentioned last week, could be thought of as the wise men, the intellectuals of Babylon. These were the Chaldeans. And the king says to this group, he's got this group of professional occultists before him. The best Babylon has to offer. And in the singular, he says, I had a dream. And it kept me from sleeping last night. I had a lousy night's sleep, basically. Verse 2, my spirit is troubled. And these highly intellectual Chaldeans reply to the king. Verse 4, follow with me. We'll tell it to us and we'll explain it. At this part, I almost picture a, 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 some kind of a handyman, some kind of a professional of, of, of a trade whipping out a business card at this point. You know, you break it, I fix it, insured and bonded. Now I'm imagining the business card of the Chaldeans. You do the dreaming, we give the meaning. I missed my calling in marketing, by the way. I'm not sure about the insured and bonded part. I don't even know what that means anyway. 
But the king isn't satisfied. He's not satisfied with just being given an, an interpretation by the wise men. Look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 in the chapter there. He actually demands these guys, tell him what he dreamed. Tell him what he dreamed and explain it. And maybe we're thinking, well, this seems unreasonable. This seems strange. But if the king were to tell them the dream, couldn't they have come up with anything? Oh, yeah, 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 we, we got this, king. We, we know what you're saying. But Nebuchadnezzar is so distressed, he isn't going to mess around. He's not going to be led down the wrong rabbit hole by some charlatans. Kind of reminds me of the old joke about the guy who, who goes, goes to a psychic, goes uh, to consult a medium to tell him about his future, which, by the way, is just as much a, an abomination to God as many of the practices of the Chaldeans. But the old story about the guy who goes to see a psychic to tell him his future, and he's immediately told to him, first we're going to need some personal information. What's your name and address? I mean, come on, right? It's a psychic. So the king demands that the Chaldeans tell him the dream. Verse 5, the word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Okay. What would you say to that? But the king goes on to promise gifts and rewards and great honor to these wise men if they can do both of these things. Bit of a far cry from Martin Luther King Jr. saying, I have a dream, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. But we understand why, right? The Chaldeans are asked to be told the dream a second time before they'll interpret it. And, and, and the king does come clean. He does say why he's being so demanding. Verse 9, you've agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Basically, again, I can't trust your interpretation without you telling me the dream as well. And by this point, uh, these professional occultists of Babylon, uh, picturing these guys standing there, I don't know why, I'm kind of weird, I'm picturing them standing there with these really long wizard beards. So I'm picturing the Chaldeans in 29, you know, they all look like Merlin. Verse 10, what do they say to him? What do they say to him? Impossible. King, it can't be done by anybody. No, no wise men, no sorcerer, no magician, no enchanter, no one person. Period, king. But this is significant, except for the gods, except for the divine. The divine, that's it. I remember that the Babylonians were polytheists, worshipers of multiple gods, multiple. So the Chaldeans argued, no one can show this dream to you except for the gods. Now, if you follow in your text there, if you look with me in Scripture, from verses 12 to 16 of Daniel chapter 2, we perhaps see the greatest argument for a checks and balance system of government like the one here in the good old U.S. of A. Because look what happens here. The king is furious. What happens now that the king is furious? He's going to declare that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Wow. There's no one to stop him. The king decrees it. It's going to happen. Could you imagine the American president, and I don't care who's saying something like that. Could you, do you think this kind of presidential order would make it through court systems? But in this monarchy, verse 13, what the king says goes. The wise men of Babylon are to be killed, a decree that even includes uh, Daniel and his three companions. Oops. That's too bad. Scripture tells us that after learning from the captain of the king's guard, name is Arioch, What's going on? Scripture says Daniel basically makes an appointment to see the king. Verse 16, I better go uh, see what I can do about this. <laughs> Scripture says that he might show the interpretation to the king. Well, 
Daniel knows this is the spiritual gift. God has just given. God has just increased within him. Besides, what's he going to lose, right, if he gets it wrong? I mean, he, he, he's going to die anyway. So verse 17, Daniel goes to his friends. Again, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They've been renamed by the king to reflect pagan names, pagan gods. Daniel says, okay, guys, pray to God about this. You can follow along with me in the text. I'm going to attempt to interpret this dream for the king. If it doesn't work out, you and all the rest of the, quote, wise men of Babylon are going to be put to death. I'm in the same boat. Well, what would you do? I'd pray. I'd start praying. And that's exactly what they do. Daniel says, seek God's mercy. And my mind drifts back. It's interesting because I remember again, verse 11 here, what the Chaldeans said, what the pagans said. The thing that the king asked is difficult and no one can, no one can show it except the gods. Only the divine could reveal what was inside the head of the king. Leading up to our text today, it's, it's, it's group huddle time. I can just see him there calling out for mercy from God. Daniel and the other three from Judah, deeply seeking the God of heaven. Only the God of heaven alone could reveal, the text says, the mystery, verse 18. Friends, have you ever been a seeker of the God of heaven concerning a mystery? I'd like to share you uh, quickly a time in my life. I remember one spring night, the year was uh, 2014 or 2014, I was poring over the book of Psalms one night, poring over as a seeker of the God of heaven. I've been in that boat a couple times since. If you've ever been in a situation which could change your life, which could, which could change the course of your life, pray on it. Maybe get three of your closest friends to be prayer partners in this process as well, right? I mean, that's exactly what Daniel does here. Now, although we can't promise that God will always give you an overnight answer, I can promise you that the process of prayer over his word will bring you closer to him. That's a promise. That I can promise. On this particular evening five years ago, I was seeking some sort of confirmation from the God of heaven in regards to a personal call to ministry. I just wanted the, the nod. I, you know, I mean, I, I know a burning bush is a hard thing. It's a difficult thing to ask for. We're not probably supposed to ask for that kind of thing. But I wanted something. I needed something. I felt as though the Lord had allowed me to a certain part of a process, but I hadn't heard anything in a little while, and I was a little uneasy about it. I was unsure of where things were going. I was a bit troubled, and I knew that only God knew what was in store for me. And so unable to get my mind off the mystery, I prayed. Saw a uh, meme on the internet this week I liked. It said, when you are hanging by a thread, make sure it's the hem of his garment. I liked that. The very next afternoon, I received a call uh, from uh, Gerald Hall at Ferris Church of Christ in Vestenburg, Michigan, phoning to schedule my upcoming next visit and trial sermon before the congregation here, basically confirming a probable call to Ferris Church of Christ as the next preacher. God revealed the mystery to me. Wow, that was a big moment for me. I'm not going to say it's always going to happen because it won't. You may spend years asking for answers, calling on the God who reveals mysteries. But you know, it can be the case. It is possible that it will be the case that God gives you an answer when you desire his will. When you desire his will. And that's what Daniel 
is doing here. This is how the answer comes to Daniel in exactly the same way. And we're ready for that highlighted text from Daniel chapter 2. Would you follow with me? Verses 19 to 23. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and set up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells within him. He's praising God. He's praising the name of the Lord here. This is how he responds. Continue on with me. Verse 23. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. I love that this is Daniel's response. And what do we find out, friends, about the king's dream? What do we find out about uh, Daniel's interpretation? Well, nothing at first. But again, consider the significance of Daniel's response. I remember when my wife and I uh, came to this area those years ago, five years ago, and I remember giving my, my trial sermon up here, hoping that you hadn't heard all the jokes before. And now you're like, we've been hearing the same jokes for five years. But I remember spending hours, hours just praising God. Just praising God for the opportunity, saying, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't even know how long this is going to last. This is all up to you, O Lord, but I, I thank you for the opportunity. And it's still my attitude today. I'm just thankful to be here serving, no matter how it all worked out. Even before Daniel goes back to Arioch, even before he goes back a second time, look at verse 24 of chapter 2 in your Bibles with me. Even before he gets there, even before he asks to see the king, Daniel praises the name of his king. Blessed be the name of God, Daniel says right away in verse 20. And you know, Daniel's in a little bit of a time crunch here, isn't he? I mean, it's not like he's got 10 different options. Uh, uh, death is kind of knocking at his door. He's got to hurry back to the king with the answers the king is demanding. His life, the life of the other, uh, the lives of the other guys are on the line. But he gives God the praise that is due him immediately. That's the first thing he does. You know, sometimes we get in a hurry. Sometimes we get in a hurry, uh, especially around dinner time, especially when it's time to eat. Have you ever been guilty of devouring half a cheeseburger before maybe one of the little ones says, Dad, we forgot to pray? I've been there and you're... Okay. It's a humbling moment to be sitting there with food in your mouth and the little one says, we forgot to pray. Because I've got to eat before my stomach falls out of my body. It will. I mean, you know, there's, there's this time frame on, on the stomach and bad things happen. But no matter the rush, there's always time to stop and pray, right? Just like Daniel. And then after, after he takes the time, after he blesses the name of God, then he's off. Follow along with me back in the text. Antioch brings Daniel immediately uh, 
before Arioch, excuse me, not Antioch, that's, that's later. <laughs> Arioch brings Daniel immediately before the king in verse 25. And do you notice what Daniel does in the text that follows? In verses 27 through 30, as Daniel confirms what the Chaldeans had already said to the king, only he who is divine could reveal what was asked. Verse 28, but, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries you notice Daniel confirms the identity of the one true God right to the king's face. And then in verse 30, Daniel uh, lets Nebuchadnezzar know this little secret, this little disclaimer. It's so important. The mystery of the dream has not been revealed to Daniel because he's some kind of wise man. But it's because it's God's will that in this instance, the mystery is revealed to him. Verse 30. It's not who Daniel is, it's who is the great I am. And too often, I think sometimes we want to take credit for what God does. I think sometimes as God's people, even, you know, after good things happen, good things happen in the church, in our personal lives, on a level much more significant with just being provided dinner, Sometimes we fail to give him the credit, don't we? I've met uh, Christians that will uh, give you all kinds of statistics. They'll tell you how long they've been serving in a particular kind of ministry. They like to talk about what they supposedly do for God, loudly, often. How great their attendance was on Sunday in their church. How fine their standing in the community looks. How exceptional their credit score may be. From time to time, you'll meet a minister that might brag about how many people will walk into his church sanctuary on a Sunday morning. I've known church leaders who acted more like King Nebuchadnezzar than Daniel when it came to church business or the order of a worship service or the duties of church staff. It was, quote, my way or the highway. Now, I'm not talking about anybody here. But they are out there. I've known of church boards who were less concerned with what the Bible said about the requirements, what God had to say about the minister and elders and deacons of a church, and they were more concerned with what their personal preference of their congregation. What do you like to see in a minister? No, what does God's word say we need to see in a minister? Symptoms of a church forgetting that it's not my church. It's not your church. Church belongs to Jesus Christ. Church belongs to Jesus Christ. And sometimes God will choose to bless the local congregation, and sometimes he doesn't. But regardless, it's crucial that God alone gets the credit and the praise and the glory for everything. Everything is so important because it's not us. It's never us. It's never about us. It's never about a single person down here below. It's about the one who reveals everything from on high. Amen. It's so important, so important. And so Daniel is able to reveal this big dream, the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Continue skimming with me from verse 34, uh, excuse me, verse 31 of Scripture. Go down through verse uh, 45. Daniel reveals the content of the dream first. He does, he goes into it. There's this great image in the dream, a great image made of fine gold has been constructed. And we know from Daniel's description of the image, it has been made in the likeness of a man. 
We can tell this. Uh, verse 32, uh, there's a head and a chest and arms and middle and thighs and legs and feet. Sounds like most people that are out walking around somewhere, right? If you look closely at verse 32, uh, it's further described. The head is made of gold, each descending part of the likeness, gold to silver to bronze to iron to clay, a lesser material. And the significance of the feet of this image of iron and clay is revealed in verse 34. Look with me. Daniel says that a stone that has been cut out by no human hand strikes the image on the feet. And so this image, again, at face value, when we look straight ahead, is to be made uh, of the gold of man, is easily broken by something far beyond our might. You remember the game Paper, Rock, Scissors? I would always lose that. I don't know why. It's like the other person could always read my mind. I am the world's worst paper, rock, scissors player. Just, just note that. That might come up someday. The rock beats everything. The rock beats everything here. The Bible says in verse 34, the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. Daniel ends his revelation of this dream by saying, the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, filled the whole earth. And now as if any jaw in the king's court hadn't dropped already, that's what happens when God speaks. When Daniel continues into his interpretation of this dream, no one's going to be able to miss the implication. No one's going to be able to miss the message, verse 36. You see, Daniel defines the head of the image, the head of gold as the very kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. And then he goes on to say that a kingdom will rule after King Nebuchadnezzar. That's probably not something the king wants to hear. <laughs> Just what are you saying, boy? You know? Daniel implies is the silver, verse 39, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth will follow after that. And the closer we get to the bottom of the image, the weaker the material, the weaker the kingdom to follow. As one preacher says, God is making sure King Nebuchadnezzar understands that God and God alone is not only the revealer of mysteries, that all wisdom comes from him. He is also the one in control of it all, ultimately. In these verses through verse 45, and you can, you can skim through in your, in your Bibles, God is directly outlining human history from Daniel's day, 600 years before the birth of Christ until his coming. This is what's going to happen, saith the Lord. Here it is. One preacher concludes, most people think that human civilization, and we meet these people and we talk to these people, uh, you know, we think that we're getting better and better. And, and, and we're just doing great as a society, or if we're not, give us five years, we'll fix all the problems. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's the water or uh, the White House, you name it. We're, we're getting better. We're, we're getting more and more enlightened. We're getting smarter. But God says that human civilization is getting worse, more inferior as history moves toward the very end. That's what God says. It doesn't matter what we think. No matter what is done under the king of kings, it too shall end. He will be beyond. He will be greater. And we can go through each of these verses from 38 through 45. We can describe different kings. We can look at different kings after Nebuchadnezzar in history and see how this prophecy has been fulfilled in time. In the, in the dream that the king has, we can actually trace time from the top of the image, the golden part, uh, symbolic for the days of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And we can end up 
in the first century, in the New Testament, in the days of Jesus with Caesar in Rome? Because it is at this time, verse 44, follow with me in the text, that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. The image in the king's dream was literally telling the future. Literally telling the future. From mighty God to the less than mighty King Nebuchadnezzar to the time of King Jesus. There it is. Verse 44 gives it away to us because we know every kingdom after Daniel was built by a human hand until the kingdom of King Jesus, amen? And maybe we're wondering, well, I don't see an earthly kingdom set up by Jesus. Where and when has that dropped, preacher? But the Bible says that uh, after Jesus Christ was born, died, and ascended to, head, uh, ascended to heaven, he began his reign as king over all. At first, we find the angel Gabriel telling Mary in Luke chapter 1, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's a clue. The kingdom of Jesus is foreshadowed just before Christ himself began his earthly ministry. Do you remember when John the Baptist preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Later, in Matthew 10, verse 7, Jesus sends out his disciples saying, and proclaim as you go, saying the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when was the dream fulfilled? When do we see it? Acts chapter 2. Peter announces at Pentecost that God has raised Jesus from the dead, has exalted Jesus to his right side, and has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified in Acts 2.36. On that same day, the day of Pentecost, the day that the Old Testament covenants were fulfilled, the day the church was founded and the Holy Spirit became poured out on all believers, this was the same day Jesus was biblically announced as king over his kingdom to which you and I, fellow Christ followers, belong. Acts 2.47. Now, I'm not saying Jesus wasn't always defined because he was. Jesus was always God, but Jesus wasn't always holder of the title of king. Jesus set up his throne over his kingdom, which he still rules the present day in the second chapter of Acts. He can't be defeated. No one's going to take him down. When King Nebuchadnezzar announces, I have a dream, he was dreaming about the future King Jesus. And speaking of a different king, the one we began talking about earlier, for all of the contributions of, of Martin Luther King to the civil rights of his fellow Americans, there were still limitations here. There was still a problem. There were still uh, uh, some things that were going to hold this dream back from being fulfilled. Not because civil rights uh, isn't an issue that's problematic in this country, because it certainly is, but because... Fixing the problem in the here and now is ultimately dealing in iron and clay. Dealing in iron and clay. We'll never, we'll never get this completely right in this country, unfortunately. I wish I could say otherwise, but we won't. And we hate to say it, but any government, any nation that rises during the time of Christ's kingdom, verse 44, eventually will be overtaken by his kingdom. And that's just the way God says it will be. This part of the sermon might fall with some difficulty on our ears. I'm sure it wasn't easy for Nebuchadnezzar either. And like you, I don't want any less than the very best for my country. I, I love my country. 
But as much as I love the freedoms and the rights and the protections I have, and as much as I appreciate those in power who are trying to make decisions for my best interest, my Bible tells me that this is temporary. This is only going to last for so long. Sometimes in the church, I think sometimes we get caught up in those issues. Those issues of iron and clay, things that don't really matter. Maybe the issues of Democrat and Republican. Maybe some of the the right issues, but for the wrong reasons. I'm not saying don't keep your uh, eyes and ears open and don't stand up for what's right and wrong in this country. But if you're a follower of God, you belong to a kingdom that's not of this world. The kingdom of Jesus. Jesus Christ once stood before one of the governing greats with more power than we've ever seen, Pontius Pilate, and told him just that in John 18, 36. My kingdom's not of this world. Not of this world. We can't forget that today. That's so important that we hang on to that. The kingdom of King Jesus. Moving forward, there's certainly more we could explore in this text, in this imagery about this dream of falling kingdoms. But, you know, like so many other scriptural prophecies, we don't have to know every detail to to be able to see the big picture, right? King Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to be told about the future Persian and Greek and Roman rulers identified here within this image. I'm sure they were there. But he understood quite well that what Daniel implied was of God. And so, mysteriously, interestingly enough, how does chapter 2 end? Daniel gets a promotion. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Daniel gets a promotion. Look at verses 46 through 49. The king actually falls upon his face. He pays homage to Daniel. Well, what would you do if you were Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, either that or turn and run, right? The king falls upon his face. He pays homage to Daniel. The king demands Daniel's given an offering. He gives him incense, high honors, many gifts in the kingdom. He recognizes this is of God. He makes him a great ruler. And in the process, Daniel doesn't forget his friends. He doesn't forget uh, the guys known by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 49, scripture's now going to switch to that. Daniel's able to request these others receive a promotion over Babylonian affairs as well. What a guy, man. I wish I was friends with Daniel. Chapter ends, verse 49, by saying Daniel remained at the king's court. Wow. Now, can you imagine through any of this process, something in in his mind, something within Daniel saying, this is probably not a good idea. This this is probably not going to end well for us. But God was in control. That's all that mattered. King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't in control. Talk about a dream come true, it surely did for Daniel. As one commentator notes, imagine Kim Jong-un falling as a servant before a Jewish Christian, acknowledging the God of Israel is the only true God. Could you see that happening on Fox or CNN or any of those news stations? This is basically what's happening here, although North Korea is no Babylon. But there is no great king... There's no great leader on earth who will stand forever, folks. No matter how wise, no matter how powerful, no matter how influential. And there's no dream on earth which cannot be fulfilled if it reveals the will of God. 
And so friends, next week we're going to discuss chapter 3. I encourage you, as I did last week, take your Bibles home, go through that. We'll talk through the text as we're talking through this journey through the book of Daniel. And remember, if you're going to dream, dream big and dream for the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I, like Daniel, I, I praise your holy name today. Standing before you and understanding that you are wise, you are all-knowing, you are ultimately in control. And I don't, have to, I don't have to have all the answers, Lord. I just have to know. I just have to trust that you do. Lord, as we, as we study through this, this book, this book of your word together as your church, I pray that, that, that we would not view it as, as just a bunch of, of, of ancient words that, that don't have any meaning, but as your holy living word. Lord, I thank you that you have revealed yourself through these words. I thank you for people like Daniel. People who, who show us through, through their examples what it looks like to trust you. Lord, much like Daniel, we, we know that we're in a place that's not our true home. That this is all temporary. Lord, we're, we're reminded of that each time a loved one passes. Lord, we're reminded that, that we're only here for a few years. And when you decree it, when you say it, by your word at your hand, our days will be over. Lord, I pray that we would be ready. I pray, Lord, that we would, we would prioritize the words of, of King Jesus. We would bow to no one else in our lives, in our homes, in our hearts, that our families and our neighbors and all of our loved ones would, would seek your court as well. Help us to, to trust in you when, when times are difficult, when we feel like running the other way because we know that you are over all and you are sitting, you are sitting there above us. Lord, help us to also be convicted when we want to go about our own way in a way that is not pleasing to you. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I praise your name for the cross. I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that we have a hope in you. Bigger than any dream we could come up with. Because you love us so much. And you want to make right. You want to restore what we messed up in this place. 
Help us to call you king in each area of our lives and to spread that word to others to serve you too. It is in that blessed holy name of Jesus I pray these things, amen. Could you imagine being told a story or, or being given a picture or of an image that detailed the future? And yet, the main point of this whole illustration, no matter the content, was something that you already knew, that beyond your knowledge or your understanding, there was this divine power that ultimately you drew everything from. It doesn't begin and end here in our world, in our hearts and in our imaginations and in our minds. But far beyond anything we can comprehend, there is this, there is this divinity. God waits. He's not willing that any of us would perish, and that's why he gave his son. And so the choice remains ours. The real dream has come true. His name is Jesus Christ, and he died for each one of us, Calvary. If you've not yet made that decision to make him Lord of your life, to go down into those waters of baptism, to follow him in the death and resurrection, and come up a new creature, if you've not yet made that call for your life, we invite you to do so, to come forward this morning. We're going to stand and sing this song, You Never Let Go. There's a power beyond anything we can imagine, a love and a wisdom, and he never lets go of us when we hang on to him. Would you stand and let's sing?